Everyone got one. What's your opinion? This is the ramp room. Tons won't be bitten. Ain't no rules, just spill it. And anybody can get it. No limit. We get to kill it. You tuning in to the thrillers. And no, ain't no stopping. No. Any topic. Even the random. Big as a I hope that you're ready. We entering in the zone soon. We on a grown shit. Welcome to the ramp room. That's it. That's all I got to say. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. And you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it street, we keep it opinionated, and we keep it what? 2015. <laughs> Hello. That's what's up, y'all. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, shit like that. Yes. So today, y'all hear her voice. Mm-hmm. Little Miss Lisa Lisa Cole yes. Jam. I'm excited today. Are you excited? Yes. Are you happy? Yes. Because if we're going to be talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, <laughs> sci-fi. Oh, yes. Sci-fi. Yes. Mm. Little Miss Street Nerdist Aww. over here. Why we call you Street Nerdist? Uh, because you know what? I can be hood if I need to. <laughs> and what else? But I can be academic and very nice <laughs> if I need to be too. Hello, everybody. See what I got to do with David? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm good today. <laughs> I'm positive today. Okay, Usually I'm good. always nagging you because you're always having like junk food all in front of my face. But today, no. I had brought all this stuff. I usually have a full, don't I? Mm-hmm. We usually have all kind of stuff. And I grabbed my bags and I ran back in the house to get something else. And David, left he it left, sitting it, on, he the left it on the porch. <laughs> it's all your fault. So friend. there okay. are some nibbles. I got nervous. I was like, ooh. There, there's <laughs> some nibbles. David Dean is coming. I'm going to have to, you know. <laughs> I could have been tucking in right now, but that's okay. Next time. Next time. So anyway, y'all ready? Let's get it in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so... We got a cool ass guest for you guys today. Uh, my old friend, my man from way back. But we known each other for a minute. Long time. You know, we used to ride at the coffee shop and shit. I remember. I can't remember exactly how I met you, but I remember tripping off him playing Lincoln and going, "Oh my God, that's Lincoln from Boston Legal." Okay. And I was writing because we had a conversation. I, I was writing. You probably don't remember, but I was writing a spec script for Boston Legal. And he actually gave me some tippers. He probably don't remember about mm-hmm. it. But he gave me some tips on how the whole show worked. And I was like, oh, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that Lincoln character was crazy. Oh my God. <laughs> so I haven't fully announced him. We got my man, David Dean Betrayal, you guys, actor, comedian. Um, you direct too, don't you? I do, do a theater. little bit. Mm-hmm. I do a little bit. Yeah, director. Mm-hmm. Um, what else am I forgetting? Uh, these days I'm producing, apparently. That's right. Okay. That's right. Got a new hat on. All right. <laughs> there's, Extra nothing, there's nothing wrong with that hat. There's nothing wrong with that hat. <laughs> um, so for you guys who don't know, as you guys, we just you just heard us talking about <clears throat> Boston Legal, because um, you are known for quite a few things. Yeah. That's probably one of the big things you're really known for. I know you probably hate talking about it now. No. it's. I mean, you know, you're, you're lucky if you got something somebody yeah. remembers you about. Sure, <laughs> and sure, And that's sure. the thing most people remember me for is Boston Absolutely. Legal. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it was a yeah. great role for you. Mm-hmm. You know? It was a pretty amazing... Boy, you talk about a piece of Hollywood luck. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just... That landed in my lap out of nowhere. Wow. I mean, it was one of those kind of phone rang and the next day it was happening it was really amazing really? wow and changed my life it totally changed my life were, were you just supposed to guest star just one episode or did it turn uh, i wasn't else? even trying to be an actor in those days oh, really? i i had i'd hung up that part of my life mm-hmm. i said okay i'm done being an actor mm-hmm. i'm just going to be a, a writer now that's what i'm going to do and i hadn't auditioned or been on anything in years and years yeah. and years and years i didn't have an agent i didn't have a headshot i had nothing wow and i literally was in my house one day and the phone rang 
And this casting director, who remembered me from many, many, many years ago, said, <laughs> hey, do you want to come in and read for this? It's a little one-scene role. It's one episode. You want to come and read for this? And I said, no, thank you. What? Uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> I'll do that all the time. But I don't, I don't really do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, so thanks a lot and good luck. And she kind of wouldn't get off the phone. She kept saying, no, 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 wait a minute. It's just, it's just one day and it's really, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's a fun thing. They don't really know what they want. And mm-hmm. right. why don't you come in? and it'll be fun. It'll right, be fun. I'll get right. you in early. You won't right. have to wait. Mm. And I said, okay, well, what is it? What's the deal? And she said, well, they're looking for this character and uh, and it's described as a creepy, effeminate Truman Capote type. <laughs> so I thought of you. Wow. And wow. I said, well, thanks so much. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And anyway, she, you know, she talked me into looking at it anyway. So she, she, I said, yes. I said, okay, I'll come in and read. And they sent it to me. And I don't do imitations. Like, I don't do Truman Capote's. I'm not good at that. Mm-hmm. And I read it over. And I, it reminded me of somebody I used to work for a long time ago. Back when I was in school, mm-hmm. I used to work for a catering company. Okay. And I used to do these private parties for this very, very rich guy who was super eccentric. Just like super <laughs> weird. Right. And, uh, and, re- and what I loved about him was he was so rich that he was sort of detached from reality. Mm. Right? Wow. So he would have these parties with – and he also spoke in this really strange – like. Like the class of people that he exists or he he was a part of doesn't really exist anymore. It was called wasps, and they're kind of all gone. (laughs) There's two or three of them. They're mostly gone now. They've kind of died out. But but he sort of spoke in this weird kind of clipped kind of Catherine Hepburn kind of accent. It was really weird. And and he spoke with great authority Hmm. about things he knew nothing about. And wow. I always thought that was really fascinating. Mm. And I, I loved working for him. And the drunker he got, the, the wiser he became. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was such a kind of a cool character. So I kind of started saying Lincoln Myers lines in this guy's voice mm-hmm. like as he used to speak. Mm-hmm. And he always, as I said, spoke with great confidence about mm-hmm. everything. And the more confidently I spoke, the funnier it became. Oh, interesting. And I thought, this is kind of funny. Wow. So I You t- made a choice. I yeah, did. I, I made a choice. choice mm-hmm. I made a choice. And I went in and I read for it. And they kept me in there forever. They kept saying, yeah. okay, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? They kept asking me all these different questions. They would read more material with me, even though it was just this one scene. And then... Uh, I walked out the door and somebody came chasing out after me saying, don't leave. Like, can you stay like in the neighborhood for two hours? Very good sign. It's an excellent sign. So mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. And I, I stayed at the Starbucks for two hours and they called and said, go to wardrobe. You're going to wow. do it. Wow. And that then, quick. That, like, that quick. And when I got the script the next day, it had been rewritten and clearly my character was coming back. Mm. Wow. And then all of a sudden, it just grew and grew and mm-hmm. grew. Because David Kelly, who's, of mm-hmm. course, one of the masters mm-hmm. of network TV, mm-hmm. uh, just an incredible writer, really loved that character. It was kind of a combination of what he had written and mm-hmm. what I had kind of brought to the party. Right. And, oh, my God. I mean, what that <laughs> turned into over the arc of that season mm-hmm. yeah. was unbelievable. And, wow. and I, I had never experienced any, any kind of fame at mm-hmm. all. And all of a sudden, I couldn't leave my house. I couldn't go to the grocery yeah, store without yeah. somebody like following me up and down the aisles. You know? Wow! It was bizarre. I figured that character did. Everybody, that was the, that was kind of the curse of it. There was yeah, a blessing yeah. and there was the a curse. curse. Yeah. And the curse was everybody thought that I was that person. And uh, and I remember going into some building for some appointment, and I had to sort of wait with the security guard. And the security guard was terrified of me. Really? Like like he just couldn't stop staring at me. <laughs> like. 
And I remember I said to him, it's really okay. I'm really not, I'm not that person. It's about to go down. Let me be ready. Let me be ready. <laughs> but he was so, it was kind of sweet, actually. Mm-hmm. He was so genuinely unnerved. Like, mm-hmm. it was obviously that character, like, you know, freaked him out. Wow. And, but it was really fun. That's it was sweet. an amazing journey. And I got to work with all those incredible actors mm-hmm. and, and had, you know, one of the best TV writers in the history of TV Ever. writing Absolutely. every mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. for me. So it was really like every week, every script. How, was many, like how many this. episodes did you end up doing? Uh, I did a total of eight that That's season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that particular season, and I, I, I was eventually shot through the chest with an arrow, <laughs> which retired that character. But boy, it took it took a lot to retire that character. Mm-hmm. They just kept milking it. Okay, didn't they? they did. It was pretty amazing. It was. Well, and, and you and had it changed a lot of everything. those scenes where you kidnapped uh, uh, what's her name? Candace Bergen. Can, can you believe that? Okay. Yeah, okay. that was pretty fun. That, that was kind of uh, that was our episode. Candace and I locked in the basement together. It was great. Wow. Oh, it was man. amazing. Wow. It was amazing. And also, I got I had a storyline with William Shatner. True. And it was just, and, mm-hmm. oh, it was great. It was amazing. It was mm-hmm. an incredible experience. And again, out of the blue, just yeah. like the phone and rang. And thank God you like kind of tuck that that little arsenal from that that caterer you work for mm-hmm. yeah. and just said, you know what? I'm going to hold on to that. And one day, and just, you read that. So just when you read that, you thought, this is how I'm going to read it. You know, it's funny. I I, uh, I teach, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I have students, and they're always kind of bitching about their waiter jobs or whatever they got to do. And I always say, you know what? You will be amazed how handy that waiter job is going to come in later in life. Absolutely. You will be amazed at who you will meet, mm-hmm. who you'll get to know, the stories you will have to tell, mm-hmm. what you will witness as a waiter. Mm-hmm. And later on in life, you'll be shocked if you're going to be a writer or an actor or any kind of creative person. Absolutely. You'll be shocked at how many of those alliances and stories mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. are going to come back around and be very useful to you. Absolutely. So don't bitch about that job right. quite so much. <laughs> Study and take notes. Yes. Absolutely. Use it. Yes. Use it. Well, let's, let's back up a little bit. I mean, we needed to go on that because I was just... You know, people need to know who the fuck we're talking to. Right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> that's some real shit. So, um... Let's just go back just a little bit. Let's just talk a little bit about how, where you come from, how you got into the game, and then let's talk about writing because I know that's your first love. Sure, so sure, sure. Uh, so how far back do you want to go? <laughs> do you want to go back let, to like the cradle? Let's just give us a cliff note. <laughs> let's give us a cliff note version. Uh, okay, let's see if I can do the cliff note version. Uh, I'm originally from Kentucky, from okay. eastern Kentucky. Uh, not the not the racehorse side of the state, but the, uh, <laughs> the coal miner's daughter side of the state. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know. Hence, hence that little slight accent. Like, uh, like a lot of people, you know, who are creative, um, for whatever reason, every once in a while, you see the other side of the mountain from wherever it is mm-hmm. you're standing. You can see that there's something over there yeah. that you're mm-hmm. interested in, right. and you become determined to get there, and I sure. became determined to get there. Mm-hmm. So uh, by the time I was like um, 18, I went to uh, Texas at first to go to school, but I absolutely hated college. Okay. I, I, after the first year, I thought, oh, wow, yeah. I, this is so not for me. Mm-hmm. And then very shortly after that, I moved myself to New York because I knew I wanted to be an artist mm-hmm. and started that ball rolling. And I went to acting school there and um, had great luck, like pretty much even before I got out of school, I started to work as a stage actor there okay. and uh, worked for my about a decade pretty steadily. Um, and then I got a little, I got to this weird kind of career juncture hmm. because in those days I looked really young, like super young. <laughs> I had the and same curse. <laughs> it's a terrible curse. It's a terrible curse. And I was like, actually like, you know, 28 or something, but I was still auditioning for like 18 year old mm-hmm. roles. And I was showing up in the waiting room with like real 18 year olds. 
and it was creepy. It was and, creepy. and you didn't know how to dress like that anymore. Okay. <laughs> well, that was part of it too. Was it was like all so fake at a certain point, and I, I was having to like act like I was right off the boat, you know, oh, like yeah. oh I don't know a thing, right. and I was actually this kind of jaded New Yorker at that point, <laughs> and it was just it was getting creepier and creepier, and the casting directors were starting to look at me like, haven't you been around a long time to be reading for this high school student? And and so I kind Aren't of... are you Dorian Gray? Exactly. I kind of felt like, you know, the handwriting was on the wall okay. here. That maybe it's time to like maybe change it up a little bit. Okay. And, uh, and I kind of felt like I'm going to have to wait. Like this is going to dry up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And I thought I should try to do something here. And I took a shot at writing a play. Oh, okay. I had never written a play before. And I thought, what the hell? I'm going to try this. Mm-hmm. And I, I took a spin at it and I had beginner's luck. And my first play uh, went to the Long Wharf, which is a pretty prestigious theater okay. in Connecticut. And then it went straight from there right into New York to Off-Broadway. Wow. wow. And so it all kind of happened pretty fast. Pretty quick, yeah. And all of a sudden, I had this job known as writer. And uh, <laughs> and I didn't know how to do it. Do you okay. I mean, that was really just a shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. And then all but, but you've been reading plays for so long. Yeah. Be, that's a different beast. I mean, it's, very, it's one thing when you're reading lines somebody else wrote. And it's another when you got to write it. You know, and you gotta, But I'm just saying, if there's a story inside I'm, your experience is different than mine I'm sure I'm just relating this to myself when I started writing from being an actor it, I'd been reading scripts since I was 12 years old so by the time I'm 30 and I finally start to sit down and write a script I'm like I think I know how to do this kind of that you know what I mean there was something there already just from all the years of reading I don't know if that made any sense to you but no it did it made perfect sense know? to me I mean I think you were maybe smarter about it than I was mm-hmm. in that when I read a script in those days mm-hmm. when I was an actor this is what I saw when I looked at the page. Your I saw lines. Bullshit, bullshit, my line. Bullshit, 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 bullshit my, my line. line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Love it. That's what I saw That's when I looked honest. at the page. That's honest, yeah. And, and uh-huh. all of a sudden, I had a new job, mm-hmm. you mean, which was not only to write my lines, but everybody else's everybody lines. Everybody else's. And to tell a story that made sense and was balanced and, mm-hmm. you know, started it's a, one It's place a puzzle. Yep. It really mm-hmm. is. It's mm-hmm. a whole other beast. And I, I was suddenly getting calls from Hollywood. Okay. And so I, I, I'm, I came west... I had at that time kind of a kind of a boutique agent who was pretty hot, mm-hmm. and uh, she said, "You cannot come to Hollywood without a screenplay. You've got to have a screenplay." And I had never written a screenplay in my life. Mm-hmm. I knew none of the books. I knew none of the rules. <laughs> and I sat down and I just thought, "What the hell? I'm just gonna I'm gonna combine my two favorite movies." <laughs> and my two favorite movies at that time were "It's a Mad, 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 Mad World" okay. and "Raising Arizona." Mm-hmm. I just loved those two movies. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put them together into this big sort of. You know, a, a zillion plots and a zillion characters all like interwoven <laughs> in this ridiculous way. And uh, it was and, and actually somehow miraculously, I made it kind of work mm-hmm. like at the end. It, I mean, mm-hmm. and the thing about it was, was it broke every conceivable rule because I didn't know what the rules mm-hmm. were. Because first of all, it was this independent movie with like a $200 million budget. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> everything about it was so huge <laughs> and impossible and expensive to do. He wrote an epic the first okay. time. That's but funny. I wrote it in, I wrote this independent movie that cost a bazillion dollars, mm-hmm. right? And I broke all the rules. Like my lead character died and the script went off for 20 more pages. <laughs> I mean, all these things that you're never supposed to do. But I did it. And I didn't know any better, and so Mm. I did it. And so that was kind of my calling card. And what I will say about that script was it was funny. It was funny from page one to the last page. It was funny. And and you turned the page. Mm -hmm. You wanted to turn the page. So I I got out here with that, and as soon as I got out here, my agent who had this clout because she had two really big clients, they Mm -hmm. both left her instantly. Like the second my my plane landed – 
suddenly my agent like was out of business. (laughs) She literally was like out of business like the day I landed. And you showed up like, oh. Right, right, exactly. My apartment had been sublet and here I was. Wow. I had flown out here with my alcoholic boyfriend (laughs) and here I was. You should hear his one-man show talking about that. (laughs) I hadn't support myself and an alcoholic and I had no job. Wow. And so I, I kind of rattled around out here for the first few months and really didn't know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And then again, I just thought, okay, I know a couple of people. And I just started – in those days, you took your script down to the Kinko's and you Xeroxed mm-hmm. it. So I Xeroxed it and I just started like mailing it. and hand, I, had, I had a stack of them in the trunk of my car. Mm. And everywhere yeah. I went, I was like, here, you want to read my script? You want to read my script? You want to read my script? It's your calling card. Yeah. Yep. You yeah. I mean? It's all I had. Yeah. And so – that, I did that for a few months. And again, this is another Hollywood story. It sounds like I'm making this shit up, but I'm not. This is actually what happened. I was in my living room, and the phone rang. And it was somebody from Disney who said, is this David Dean Botrell? And I said, yes, it is. Uh, and at first, I almost didn't say that because at that time, I was way behind on my credit cards. And I thought, who? Who's calling? Oh, yeah. He moved. <laughs> no speak English. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, took, I sucked it up. They sounded legitimate. And so I, I told them it was me. And he said, whatever his name was, and he goes, I'm from Disney, and I've been trying to find you for like three weeks. Who's your agent? And I said, I don't have an agent, but but God bless you for finding me. I mean, so hi, how are you? And he said, can you come in and meet me tomorrow? And I said, yes, I can. And so I went to meet him and his partner, and they had read the script. It was called Sacred Estates was the name of it. And they had just gone nuts for it. They had just loved it. And they said, we want you to work here. We want you to come in. We're going to find a okay. project for you, and this is great. Okay. And, and uh, I know it's kind of it's crazy. And we want you to work here. And and wow, we're so impressed with this. And we wanted. Who are you? Where'd you come from? What planet did you land from? We've never read a script like this before. Um, and they were just all over it. And and they said, "What can we do to help you?" And I said, "I need an agent." And they said, "You will have your choice of agents by the end of the week." Wow. And they were right. My huh. goodness. They were right about that. And um, and so then I, suddenly I had this big deal agent, and I was kind of suddenly in the movie business. Wow. And there was only one little problem was I didn't know how to write a movie. But other than that, <laughs> I was in the movie business. <laughs> but I had no idea <laughs> at all how any of it worked. And I went, I, I met my new agent, who was in a, one of the big, you know, one of the big three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, who, and I said, oh, there's one little thing I think I should tell you is I don't really know how to do this. Or like, I don't know how to pitch a movie or any of that sort wow. of stuff. And, she, and I said, you're going to tell me how to do this, right? And they said, you bet. We're going to tell you everything. They didn't tell me a fucking thing. <laughs> I, they just ran me through the Rolodex. <laughs> and I was shot out into Hollywood. And wow. I, I had, you know, a ridiculous oh number. I would like drove around all day, appointment to appointment to appointment. Mm. And, and for a brief period of time was the flavor of the month. You know? mm. And, um, and everybody's, Oh, you're the second coming. You're the, I used to call them genius meetings because mm. I would go in and say, you're a genius. I can't wait to work with you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Oh, okay. You know, I guess, I guess my phone's going to be ringing soon. <laughs> okay. And it took me a long time to actually figure out what my job was. Like I didn't, nobody, literally nobody told me right. what the job was. Right. And I had to go buy books, you know, at the store and read them and like how to write a screenplay and mm. how to pitch something and how to do it. And I started to work a little bit and hmm. then it all, I actually wound up leaving the big deal agency. Right. Went elsewhere. And then it really actually, I actually learned how to do it and it started to work. True. And I started to work as a screenwriter after that mm-hmm. and I did it for about 13 years. Is that, is that um, when you made the switch like not to be on screen anymore or did you make that when you moved to LA? When I came to LA, I wasn't trying to be an actor anymore. Okay. Really. Yeah. It, uh, when, I, when I wrote the play and it kind of took off in New York, mm-hmm. you know those moments in life when you feel like the door just closed behind you? Right. That was one of those moments. I thought, because okay. when it happened, when the play happened, all these people wanted to talk to me. 
And as we all know, when you're an actor, you're begging people to talk to you. Mm -hmm. You're begging anybody to meet with you. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, when you're a writer, I just realized the difference, you know, and then all of a sudden, as opposed to somebody who's looking for a job, you become someone who can create a job. Absolutely. And that's a whole other mm-hmm. piece. Different, yeah. You know, it's a whole other thing. You're, you're in an industry where everybody is dying to have a job. Mm-hmm. A producer cannot produce unless they have a job, or unless they have a script, pardon that's me. True. A that's studio true. cannot produce product unless they have that's a script. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and not that they treat us well or respectfully, but... <laughs> but that that capacity, I suddenly realized, oh, it all just changed. Mm-hmm. And the ability to get an appointment suddenly became a lot easier. Right. And the idea of people wanted to know my ideas. Nobody wanted to know my ideas when mm-hmm. I was an actor. They could have given a shit. Mm-hmm. But, but all of a sudden, everybody wanted to hear what I thought about things. Mm-hmm. And boy, as soon as you have a little bit of success, also, as soon as you, you know, start to sell some stuff or you get something produced, all of a sudden, you're a freaking genius. Yeah, everybody wants totally. to hear your ideas then. You totally. the you're the next. same dumbass you were yesterday, but oh my God, <laughs> everybody thinks you're a big damn deal. It's very interesting. It's a very mm-hmm. interesting change in reality. And, and then the same thing happened for me in the sense that when I... <clears throat> wrote my first my first script went to the finals of Sundance on my first draft, and I was like, "Hmm, what the fuck does that mean?" And all of a sudden, you get on that list, and everybody's like, "Ooh, we didn't want to read this script." And I was like, "Hmm, now people, oh, now they want to talk to Brett." <laughs> yep, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yep. And and later on, when I started, you know, producing, you know, my own projects and other people's projects, I realized, boy, there's so much more. Unless you're a movie star, there's so mm-hmm. much more power on this side. If that makes any sense. Not in a negative way, just more like I'm invited to the party. Yes, you, you are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm now, um, when there's a production meeting, I get to go. Yep. I don't just show up on the set. Right. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Now I'm in on if the director needs to pull the producers aside, I'm one of them having a conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So it's just a, it's a whole different thing that you never really experienced when mm-hmm. you were just an actor. You know yeah. what I mean? So I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole other thing. And also, I, I kind of, once I was on the other side of the table... I also saw my old job of being an actor very differently. Like okay. I just, I, and I, and when I, I, I teach actors right now, and I try to tell them a little bit about that, so mm-hmm. it's not quite so mysterious. Because I don't, I don't think I really, I didn't, I didn't know anything. I knew only my gig. I didn't have any real sense of anybody else's job when sure. I was uh, an actor in those in those days when I was younger. And it's wow, it's a, it's a long train. And the actors are the caboose on that train. <laughs> they, are, they are the last thing that joins the train. And sure. it's a very long train. Mm-hmm. So a lot has happened before you ever right. get near right. a project. And right. that's uh, an interesting thing to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into um, when you so, – so, so now you're a writer. Right. Um, I'm a little bit of everything now. No, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm you still, mean back in the, okay, I'm we're going to roll it back. We're rolling it back. Okay. You moved to LA, you got mm-hmm. the agent, you start going on generals, you're right. doing all that. So now right. you're, now you've come here and now you're a writer. I am. So, you know, you're, you're, you're doing, you're studying more craft, you're learning how it all works. Mm-hmm. You're experimenting because you're being thrown in. Yep. <clears throat> you know what I mean? You go to a pitch meeting, you're like, what's that? Well, I guess I got to figure it out. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was terrible at first. I was yeah. terrible. I would sweat bullets. It was, it was awful. I just, I was a wreck when I have to pitch. Wow. And I, I actually, just before <laughs> my agent kind of, my agent dumped me, I had mm-hmm. lunch with her and I said, um, you know, I'm kind of worried about this whole pitching thing. I'm not sure if I know what I'm doing, and I think I'm going to go take a you know, class in pitching or something. Mm-hmm. And she actually, God bless her, um, she actually told me something that I, it was, again, life-changing. Mm-hmm. It was really, really life-changing. She said, nobody, nobody can teach you how to pitch. There's no seminar. There's no, nothing you're ever going to go to. 
that's going to teach you how to pitch. Mm -hmm. And she said, the only thing I know to tell you is when you go into that room, you take your talent with you. Mm. And that completely Mm. changed my whole approach Mm -hmm. because I used to think, oh, there's a time limit on this and it has to go a certain way and you Mm -hmm. have to have hand puppets or whatever the hell. (laughs) It's like everybody had some stupid (laughs) charts and Mm -hmm. visuals. And and I kept thinking, maybe some people do, Mm -hmm. but she's right. This is is inherently a creative enterprise. It mm-hmm. is a creative exercise. So however you do it is how you do it. Sure. Mm-hmm. And and you got to figure that part out. And I suddenly, I became kind of a popular pitcher. Like it all changed. I realized mm-hmm. my job is to go in. Were you able to use your performance? Huh. You know something? I never really thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. But what I did think about, which is, uh, which kind of helped me become a writer, mm-hmm. was like my family, like way back they're always, because they had no money, they entertained themselves with stories. Right. You know? They were very collective. I mean, they were a very colorful collection of people. They were really, mm-hmm. you know, none of them had any money and they were always a mess and somebody was always in jail and somebody <laughs> was always pregnant and there was always some shit going down. Right. And so anytime the phone rang, there was news. Do you know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. news, I couldn't wait for my mother to get off the phone and tell us all what the latest oh, shit was. Right. Right? Or when somebody pulled up in the driveway, they had fresh shit. Right. To tell you. <laughs> and so, or you would witness something and then you became the one to go, oh, wait, wait, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> so it was, it was great. It was really, really good. And, you, and I, I learned from them the most essential part of this, which is what's the funny part of the story? What's the suspenseful part of the story? Mm. What's the payoff to the story? What's the setup to the mm-hmm. story? And all that, I kind of just learned naturally by listening to these stories and sure. knowing mm-hmm. what worked. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> how, how would mom tell this story? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah, right. And so all of a sudden, when I went in to pitch, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I brought with me. Mm-hmm. I brought that with me. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm going to tell you a story and here's how it goes. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it became a much more pleasant experience for everybody involved. Sure. And I, I kind of got a reputation as being a really good pitcher, that people really enjoyed my pitches and mm-hmm. they were entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought of it as a performance. I just thought, I'm going to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. This is why this is, mm-hmm. so, this is a good story for this reason. You've got to mm-hmm. listen. Listen to this. And see, I can imagine you, I've never heard you pitch, but I've seen several of your one-man shows. You, I could imagine you being an amazing pitcher, not only because you can bring drama and comedy in one beat. Well, God you know bless what I mean? you. Thank you. In mm-hmm. one single beat, you Thank can you. bring, that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's talent. You know what I mean? Thank you. So when you tell your one man stories and you talk about your life or any yeah. other, you always tell them through these beautiful visual stories with just him on a stage. It's black box pretty much. You yeah. might have a chair. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But you see everything around the entire oh, room. Wow. Thank you. You know, really, mm-hmm. I, it was real. Um, People don't do it like that. It's, it's hard to do. That's 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 a high level shit. That's like Whoopi Goldberg when she first came out. Mm-hmm. She had like one prop and she would make it into like, okay. You know what I mean? Um, but you were real. I could I can imagine you being a really good pitcher because of how I can picture you setting the room visually of the story. If that makes sense. Thank you. Thanks. I I, I was really blessed. I had a pretty. I mean, that, I I kind of fell into a rhythm and I started to sell stuff mm-hmm. and it and it started to kind of work out and then. As we know, the ki- the Kingdom Come chapter happened. Well, let's that, talk about that. <laughs> that changed everything in the most remarkable and unexpected way. Okay. So how now, did, how maybe did that you don't come? know this story, perhaps, but he'll he'll knows it. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote a script about my family, 
And uh, it was this collection of stories, and they were all super funny. And it was, you know, this kind of small town working class family. Mm-hmm. And it could not get made. Like nobody would make this. <laughs> everybody, everybody loved it, mm-hmm. but nobody would make it. And there were always a thousand reasons yes, why. Why? Mm-hmm. why? Well, who's going to be in it? And mm-hmm. it's an ensemble movie, and these movies don't make money. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and so there were a thousand excuses why we're not going to make this movie. Mm-hmm. And so the producer, my God, what a trooper, man! This guy named Ed Bates, who is still a good buddy of mine to this day would not let go. He was mm. determined to make this movie. And uh, he called me, and we've been at it for, I don't know, two or three years by mm-hmm. this point, trying to sell Y'all this. Y'all hear that? Two or three years. Okay. Oh, at least. <laughs> if, if, if I'm sure it's closer to three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he called me up one day, and he said, okay, here's the deal. I've just been on all these meetings, and everybody's looking for a movie about a black family. <laughs> Could this be the story of a black family? And I thought, okay, mm. sure. It's mm-hmm. a working class family in a small town down south, I'm going to say yes. It mm-hmm. could be the story of the mm-hmm. black family. He said, okay, in two weeks, it's a black family. Wow. And hung up. And then <laughs> that became my responsibility. <laughs> and so I kind of panicked. You know, I'm like, I panicked. And I called up a friend of mine who's a very talented, very successful black writer. And I mm-hmm. said, I got a favor to ask. Would you read this? Would you me? read this? <laughs> and let me know. Exactly. exactly <laughs> I said, I need some advice. Mm-hmm. Okay. I need, this has been pitched to me and I need to find out if this is even possible. And okay. I believe you, you will tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. So I sent it to him and he read it and he called me back and he said, don't change anything. Yeah. Go so back to page one. Mm-hmm. Go back to page one and type in the word African American. And that's it. First <laughs> there you go. Character description. Because that's this is what became Kingdom Come, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah, right? This is what right. became Kingdom right. Come. And he said, type in the word African American on the first character description, and then there's this you need to change this name because it sounds kind of white. Mm-hmm. And he said, and and this this scene would not happen here. Mm-hmm. I can't, it would happen in this location. Not where you have it. You don't have to okay. change anything about it except the location. Page. Cut and mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. exactly cut and paste. Exactly. Right. Ta- just change where it's happening, and then it will be fine. And that's all I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't think anyone's going to know. Hmm. So we, I did exactly what he told me. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly what it was. And I went back and I changed because the script had been around for a while, mm-hmm. and I knew it had been through coverage and all that. Right. Studios. Sure. So you did so the, the sneaky rule, like <laughs> change the title. I changed the title <laughs> and I changed oh, the family's cool. last name. Gotcha. Oh, okay. And we went out as if it was a brand new movie that nobody had ever mm-hmm. seen before, and it sold in two weeks. Now, see, here's the lesson here. There's the lesson here. Yes. When you're writing a thing and people make a big deal like, oh, we add you know, people of color, different characters, right? like it's going to change. Mm-hmm. No, people are people. You know, mm-hmm. you just put it in there. You may have to do a couple names, a couple look, just minor things, mm-hmm. but in that, it's the same stuff. That is so funny. Wow. So he didn't tell you to go into the cadence and mess with all that bullshit. <laughs> no, no. You know I mean? Because no, the actors no. will bring that. They're going to no. do it. You know? They're going to do it. it. You know, we're, we're talking down south. Mm-hmm. I mean, and everybody kind of talks the it's same. same. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so it, 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 that's what we did. And all of a sudden, it, it began to sort of, the snowball began to roll. And, okay. it, and it just went. And it was, the, it was very fast. It came together really quickly. And it mm-hmm. became Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. And then, and that launched one of the most interesting and weird chapters of my life. Which was? Um, because I became an, an African-American writer in Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, in case you haven't picked this that, up, listeners, that uh, I am not uh, an African-American. Wait, wait, he would come in there and they'd be like, okay, David Dean Bottrell, and you come in, it's like, where's... Uh, uh-huh. that, where's let me at? tell you, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. Uh, I, I, uh, when that script went, uh, I then got... It's hilarious, really, but I got signed 
back to a big agency. And okay. by that time I had a manager right. mm-hmm. and the manager, uh, uh, all of a sudden he said, Oh, I'm getting all these calls. And, and, and he said, hey, we'll meet with this person. We'll meet with that person. And I honestly said to him, I don't want to meet with anybody. Hmm. I, honest to God, you go meet with them. I don't give a shit who they are. I, you're the manager. It's all going to come through you. Just go who you want to work with. Go right. figure out who you want to work with. And mm. I don't care. I don't even want to know who they are. I don't want to talk to them. Right. I could care less. That's different. Right. Right. Interesting. I, I, I don't care. Just if, if they want to work with us, then great. But it's us they're working with. And you're going to be the one talking right. to them, not me. Right. And so um, he set it all up. And he said, okay, William Morris. Bum, bum, bum. Mm-hmm. So I went to William Morris. This is, gosh, shouldn't be telling the story. But no, fuck, tell the anyway, story so kids can now. learn. But anyway, <laughs> so I went to William. It's too late now. <laughs> so it's too late now. So I showed up with my manager at William Morris, mm-hmm. and we're sitting there, and he'd been there many times by that point. Mm-hmm. So the assistant comes down, and they're you know waiting for me. The author of Kingdom Come, the writer of Kingdom Come, they're waiting for me. And so the assistant comes down, comes down to get my ma- get my manager and me who are waiting mm-hmm. there, and we all sort of stand up. We start moving to the elevator, and the assistant looks back at me like, "Who are you?" <laughs> like, like, like I was some like stranger who was like following them into the elevator. That's hilarious. And so we kind of get on the elevator with him still looking at me like, "Who are you?" Mm-hmm. And uh, and they said, "This is this is David. This is David Dean Batrell. And he was like, "Oh!" And then we got <laughs> we got up to the floor, and. And then, like, there was any time to kind of recover from any of this. Right. And they got on the floor, and, like, we're all, I'm standing there in front of the desk, and they're like, uh, he's here, he's here. And, and we walked in, and uh, the shockwave that I was... Koji, Koji, not who we thought it was. There was... There was red light, red okay. light. Okay. There was, at that time, one black agent at William Morris. And, uh, of course, he was there, uh-huh. uh, naturally. And then uh-huh. there was a, another agent who was not black, and... Mm-hmm. and, and there was this big shockwave when I walked into the room really? because they were, and, and right before we walked in, right before, I began to sense what had happened. Mm-hmm. And I turned to Ed and I said, did you tell them that I was not black? And he said, nobody asked. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> of, course of course nobody I asked. That's hilarious. Who the fuck would ask? Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, so we got in there. And it was horribly awkward mm. and just horribly, horribly awkward for like the first maybe five to 10 minutes. And you're like, man, we just and knew you came from here and you captured the and, voice. And, like, and just uh, so polite, I did just completely like nobody knew how to proceed. Mm. And I saw this like stack of scripts that were that was on the front of the desk. And I thought, I bet that's for me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just finally broke the ice and I said, you know what? I bet you didn't really know I was coming to this meeting, did you? I bet you were expecting somebody very different. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, a big sigh of relief. And I mm-hmm. said, and I bet that's a stack of African-American scripts yeah. that you were about to show to me, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yes, it is. And I said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine. It makes perfect sense. I'm happy to look at that. I'm happy to look at that script. Maybe I have an idea. Right. Let's mm-hmm. go see. Right. And then it launched this period of my life where I mostly wrote and worked on African-American projects. How funny. And it was... Uh, Did anything else come to fruition rather than um, no, nothing came. Uh, several things almost happened, mm, although nothing, a lot of rewrites and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I I consulted on a couple of films okay. that got made, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I can't really say that I really contributed, other right. than mm-hmm. I pitched a few ideas right. and gave some notes and all right. that. But I can't say I really did that. Mm-hmm. But I, I certainly sold projects that went into development mm-hmm. and then died there. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes <laughs> a very long death. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was a kind of a fascinating period. Sure. And I and I met with all kinds of African American. Um, executives and directors mm-hmm. and all that throughout through that period and it and there was and the one I most remember I mean uh, there was there was one one guy who um, was dying to meet me supposedly <laughs> until I got there and then uh, suddenly 
he wasn't in the office. <laughs> Once I got there, I was sitting in the waiting room. And so somebody else met with me, and I'm pretty sure, I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw him sneak out. <laughs> but I'm not naming names. Oh, my God. Okay, now I want to I would this. never name names. <laughs> I don't you could, blame you could, it. I mean, you can write it blame. down. You can write you it down and slide to me. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I, I get that. But, and, but, but we, see, that's the thing, David. We talk about you shouldn't understand to be honest with you, you should be able to write us and we should be able to write you. Yeah. I you know what I mean? I agree. I, we really should. We all live right next to each other. How hard? You don't know somebody's voice? You know, I'll tell you, it was, it was interesting. I met, like I said, I met with this one guy uh, mm-hmm. who was a pretty, a pretty big deal exec. And, uh, and when he met me again, and I kept telling my agents, would you please tell him before I get there? Please yeah. tell him before I get there so we don't have to do this big mm-hmm. shockwave thing. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. Like, it never happened. And, uh, and I finally got it. <laughs> I finally got in with this guy, and he, again, he was totally floored. He didn't wasn't expecting me, and he kept staring at me like I like landed from Mars. <laughs> and he said, "I just got. I have to ask you something, okay? How did you know this? How did you know this about? <laughs> wait, was it a black guy? It was a black guy. Wait, wait. wait. I bet you he was looking at you going like." He might be Creole. Let me see. He might even look at the ear tips like he I, might. I he might looking even. at the gray of hair like he uh, might I'm have a little you. curl. Like, I, is he married to somebody? Who might, <laughs> does he got some relatives? Yeah, I'm telling you. Um, but what did what did he say? What did you say to him? Like, what? well, what, what he was he was asking these things like, well, how how did you how did you know about this dynamic within African American families, and how did you know about how? African-American women and, and African-American men interact in this situation. And how did you know about this, this mm-hmm. way of life mm-hmm. and all that? And I, I let him ask all that. And, and, he, and he said, how did you know to write about all of that? And I said, I, I'm going to tell you God's honest truth. I wasn't writing about any of that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know any of that. That's not my life. Right. But I'll tell you what I was writing about. I was writing about a family that didn't have any money mm-hmm. because of that right. I do know about. Right. And right. so... It was it, it was a kind of a really wonderful moment, mm-hmm. and when I would go out on these projects, and then there were some things that were ridiculous right. that came my way. Right. Like I remember, um, I got a call from my agent and my African American agent, mm-hmm. no less, who called and said they're dying to meet you for the Rosa Parks story, mm-hmm. and I said. I'm not going to write the Rosa Parks story, okay? <laughs> you can decline for me. Okay. Thank you very much, but I'm not going to write. And they said, oh, my God, they love your writing. And I said, I'm sure they do, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to come in on mm-hmm. the Rosa Parks story. That needs to be written by an African-American writer. Mm-hmm. That is not, that's not my story to tell. Mm-hmm. If I have a comedy, if I've got something entertaining, I'm happy to go right. on that. But right. I'm not – that's – I'm not going to do that. That's right. stupid. Right. And so I was able to kind of... That's respectful. Okay, yeah. I see where you're going with yeah. it. Yeah, it is. That's, yeah. that's stupid. Mm-hmm. You know? So um, anyway, I was able to kind of back out of those sorts of things. But it was, it was I don't know, it was just a very interesting time for me. Like I would be in these... Um, I, and I'm going to tell you what, what I did when I was in that business. Was mm-hmm. In those days, BET had a show. I can't think of the name of it now, but it came on every night at 10 p.m. It was all stand-up comics. Mm-hmm. Oh, Comic View. Comic, comic View. Comic View. Yeah, yeah okay. right, right. So every night at 10 o'clock... I stopped what I was doing and I watched Comic View. Mm. Did you right. watch it when Cedric the Entertainer was the host? Or was it Martin Lawrence? It was before uh, Cedric because Cedric was actually. It might have been Dio. It might have been Dio. Maybe Hughley. it was after him. I don't yeah, remember. Dale Hughley or yeah. one of those guys. Yeah, or Martin Lawrence. Wow. Or... I don't remember who hosted yeah. it. Now I just remember. I only remember the comics, like one okay. after another after right, another. Right. And I would watch that every night. Mm. Every night I watched that, and I and out of which I thought, okay, 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 because mm-hmm. I thought, who who better knows what's on people's minds right. than them. Right. Than Comics, stand-ups. Yeah. Stand-ups are like always got their finger on that pulse. Mm-hmm. They're in the know. So I started right. going, okay, 
Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And when I had something that I was writing, like I, um, uh, you know, if I had a scene that was, you know, um, and it, if it was a dinner t- dinner table scene or whatever, I would um, I would call somebody up. I would call up my friend Monet, and I would mm. say, okay, if it was Sunday night, what would your mother make for dinner? And she would say, oh, she'd make this. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, okay, what if your grandmother was coming? And she'd, mm. oh, well, that would be a whole other thing. Okay. That would be yeah. a whole mm-hmm. other thing if my grandmother was mm-hmm. coming. She would make this and this and this. Right. So then I would take that information I would put it into the script. Right. Smart. And then when I handed that in, the executives were like, it was as if I had hacked into the Pentagon's. <laughs> Computer secrets, mm-hmm. Jamie. It was like, he don't got into Black World, how y'all. You, how did he get into Black how, World? How did you know that? Like, how'd you find that out? But it's like when you're writing the other, like, it's like anything. Like, for example, when I wrote my uh, Griselda Blanco script, mm-hmm. like, I am not Colombian. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. But guess what? I knew someone who was, mm-hmm. and I said, read the script and give me notes. What would someone from that culture, or, or specifically with the women, sure. what would that happen? And it was like, they would tell me, and all you have to do is tweak a little bit. It's just but little. It's just yeah, little. it's little minor things. Just give things, it flavor. Just minor give it the cultural flavor. things. And then yeah. after that, it's, it's still your words. Mm-hmm. It's just little tiny little nuances that you're putting in there. Good point. You know? So you yeah. were perfectly smart. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's anything. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's like, if you don't know, ask. Ask. Thank you. And the beauty of that is, and one of the things I really loved about actually being a screenwriter is, is people are dying to tell you. People are dying to be asked. People mm-hmm. like it when you express interest Absolutely. in their life. Mm-hmm. When you say, I don't know this, tell me what you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, even if whether it's a big giant thing or a little minute thing, mm-hmm. it, gives, it makes people feel important. They, mm-hmm. they want to contribute what they've got. So it was mm-hmm. really, I really loved that about it, actually. Right. I got a lot of really cool things in my scripts because I asked. Right. I asked somebody. Right. Um, I, I had to write a script that was not an African-American script about lounge singers hmm. in the Midwest. And I took a trip to the Midwest, really? and I went to the Holiday Inn, and I went to all the places <laughs> where these people were working. Mm-hmm. And I asked if I could interview them afterwards, right. and I got the most amazing and great stuff mm. that completely changed the whole tenor and direction of that script, mm-hmm. because I realized how proud they were mm-hmm. to be musicians in the Midwest making their living as a musician. Mm-hmm. That was like, that was a thing. Right. And I, it was just great. It was mm-hmm. like a phenomenal thing. And all the little details of it. I like to read that one. I like yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. Hmm. It was great. Interesting. It was great. And it changed the whole direction of the script as well. Like I totally, I got, like I, when I, it was adapted from a novel and there was, there was a part of it that I didn't quite get. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was interviewing uh, okay. this musician and I asked him if they'd ever been on tour later. They went on tour and they said, we have kids, we can't go on tour. Mm-hmm. And it, completely changed I like I it was like a, a bell went off and I thought oh my god right. now I know why this tour is happening like mm-hmm. I know why it's happening in the story and I called the producer and I said this is why and he goes that's ingenious and wow. it changed the whole direction of the mm-hmm. story anyway I love that type of stuff I, yeah, I do too <clears throat> that's where you get it from that research mm-hmm. and all that stuff you know we did we just did an episode <clears throat> recently about biopics and stuff mm-hmm. and we were talking about she was talking about her Griselle de Blanco I wrote I wrote the story of Sylvester the singer oh, wow. from the, and we both were talking about we usually when, when when the two of us do an episode by ourselves one of the things that separates our show is we talk about things from our point of view of things that we work on being working writers this is what we do yeah. we don't dissect everybody else's script yeah we give you examples from our own script to teach you with your script mm-hmm. yeah so we were talking about different ways we research and things that you're talking about and asking friends about you know because uh, I, I got a lot of my information from the book on Sylvester. However, I was telling her there was a, there was a passage in there where he was talking about that basically a lot of things in his book may or may not be true <laughs> because people he interviewed were high and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I, being from San Francisco, just ran into a bunch of my friends who were still alive. We all know a lot of people passed away yeah. um, and asked them what was it like for them 
Where were they when Milk died? You know, when was the first time you saw Sylvester perform? And they started giving me other inside game that I added to the script that is nowhere in the book at all. Right. Yeah. But it's right. my story. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh, the last book I adapted, actually, uh, the best stuff in it is not in the book. Okay. It was from me interviewing the writer. I believe it. Um, because there were there are a whole bunch of things that when it comes down to when you turn it into a story that's going to be told visually and be mm-hmm. told in a very personal way, um, people don't necessarily put that in their book. I mean, they don't True. necessarily do that. Mm-hmm. And, and once I started interviewing her, things started to kind of come slipping out here and there. It's like, oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. A little note about that. And all of a sudden it, it, it kind of came to life in a mm-hmm. way that it hadn't before. So I, I know exactly what you mean about that. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, let's talk about, um, I mean, you, you have written on, you've written a lot of things, but you've also acted on a lot of shows. We were talking about Boston, Boston legal brought you back to acting. Yeah. Did it not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that happened, you started, then you started doing JAG and all these other shows. So was that just like a little period that you did that? Or what, did, you, did you stop focusing on acting? Like what, what happened for you? You know, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a strange thing. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I had been doing, working as a screenwriter for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, I had sort of hit a plateau with okay. it where I was, I kind of, I was getting pretty unhappy, and and it. How, it, how does how does a writer get the, hit the plateau? Well, in this case, I, uh, you know, it's funny. There's different uh, definitions of success, obviously. Sure, you know? sure, sure. And um, and the people who represented me said, "Oh, you're so successful. It's it's going, it's going, it's going." And mm-hmm. I would write these scripts that I was referred to as vampires because they would not die. Interesting. <laughs> uh, I'd write a script, and then it would it would be in development for years, mm, or be know? a sample for you for something. Oh, 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 in development. I'm still like active. Like oh, oh, we wow. go from okay, now we're changing directors. We're going to rewrite mm, it again. We're changing wow. stars. We're going to rewrite okay. it again. Oh, guess what? We're going to a new studio. We're going to rewrite okay. it again. Oh my god! And so they would literally live for years. Okay. And the time that I'm like the 13 years that I was actively uh, just a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. I, there weren't that many scripts because I would like write script A, then I'd go to script B, oh, okay. then I'd go back to script A, then I'd start script C, then I'd go back to script B. Oh, and it was like, it was just these balls that I was juggling Development all the time. Development hell, huh? It was. <laughs> and, and I was paid for my time. Sure. And I'm not complaining about that part. Mm-hmm. But there came a point where I had two films um, that were both in pre-production. And one of them was a big Disney musical. Which <laughs> Big and okay. I, you know that was a big project, mm-hmm. and then the other one was an Eddie Murphy movie. Mm, Not bad, right? Mm-hmm. They were both in pre-production. Everybody was so excited. It was like, oh my god, if both these movies go in the mm-hmm. same year, your ticket is going to be punched. <laughs> I mean, you can go, you can go be a director. You, can, I mean, like you that, have found the golden ticket. You can be Shane Black, be, right? That, that would be the golden ticket. <laughs> right. If those both those movies get made in the same year, your price tag goes through the roof. And all, I mean, it's like. A, an Eddie Murphy movie and a, a Disney, Disney musical, yeah. wow. Disney? huge, right? Mm. Within thirty days, they were both shut down. Wow! And they were shut down. Had nothing to do with the project itself. It was all politics. Mm. It was all politics within the studio. Mm-hmm. Okay, had nothing to do with us. And uh, when that happened, after all that work, oh yeah, it all that just, time, I I kind of it it shut me down in a way. Yeah, I suddenly that's real. began to feel like. Sure. Uh, I found myself in my office staring at that stack of scripts, mm. and I thought, "Huh, when I die, is that it? are they going to bury those with me? I mean, like, what what, what, what are we going to oh, do with those when right. I'm dead? Right. I mean, like, this is what I did with my talent. I mm-hmm. just did this, mm-hmm. and it made me realize something that William Goldman, the big guru of screenwriting, says mm-hmm. right from the beginning. It's in his first book. Mm. If you're going to write screenplays, you need to write something else." 
an addition to that. Interesting. Because that's something you always think you about. need I had to, to write mm-hmm. something else in addition to that, mm-hmm. so that you are not at the mercy of that. You have I to found, have, yeah, I found myself like in development hell with some projects, and it, it literally it, it crushes your spirit because you're thinking mm-hmm. this is never going to happen. How many times I'm going to have to rewrite? And after uh, after a while, you actually start to hate the project. Like, you hate what you wrote. Like, damn it. So literally, I had to step aside and start doing fiction writing and doing my sci-fi and my horror stuff on the side, mm-hmm. just anthologies and stuff like that. And what it did was it kind of revitalized me. Okay. And it made me feel like, okay, I can come back around to that again. But I know that pain you're talking about. It's just like, is this... These fucking script, like I got other stuff I want to write, but I'm like caught in like this hell of well, we like this, but now we need to rewrite this. It's like, but I've rewritten it 15 times already. Like how many freaking times? Well, now we're thinking maybe this actress might. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm so done. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Oh man, um, there's um, there, I, I actually talk about this with my students as well. But I, you, you really do have to learn how to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they they will they will like a horse race they will put you in every race you can run until mm. you drop dead out there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you got to know when to take a little break from the track and sure. and do what you need to do. Because I remember years ago seeing Larry Gelbart interviewed at the Writers Guild, mm-hmm. legendary, amazing writer. And he was probably eighty two when I when wow. I saw him interviewed, and he still had he still had a project that was in development at eighty two. <laughs> At like, you know, HBO or something. And we saw a reading of it. It was really funny. It was really a fun, fun project. And he was 82 and he wrote it. Oh, man. And, uh, and then he was, you know, answering questions. And he was a really smart, funny mm. man, obviously, even, even in, in his 80s. And, um, and, of course, somebody at the Writers Guild, because those things are always so painful, because some mm. idiot always asks some stupid fucking always. question. And, and so people were asking smart questions. And this dumbass said, which is my least favorite question for them to ask anybody, which is, can you give a little advice about how to succeed in Hollywood, um, you know? Jesus, you know what I mean, like, did he come down break. with a water squirter and just squirt him in the face? <laughs> he, he had the best answer I've ever heard, and I've never forgotten it. And and he, I guess, it, clearly he'd been asked this before. Mm-hmm. And he said, "As far as I know, the best way to succeed in Hollywood is to figure out how to grow a new hymen about every two years." Wow! And I'm here to tell you, I have never forgotten that. Hmm. I wow. have never forgotten. <laughs> he wrote that shit. Down okay, that I, I, I've never. <laughs> he got really real. I heard I that. I thought. Holy shit, that should be the title of somebody's book right there mm-hmm. because you have to let go of the past. Do you mean? You have to you have to come at it as if you have never done it before. You have to come at yeah. it with love. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't come at it with I've been beaten up. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You it, otherwise there's you you can't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have right. to come at it with hope. You have right. to come at it with something new. And that's tough. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to figure out how to re- rejuvenate yourself every once sure, in a while, sure. to reinvent mm-hmm. yourself in some way. Right. So, um for about the past, really since the, since the past seven years or so, when Boston Legal came up, I just kind of committed to that. I committed mm-hmm. to the idea of life is long, it has many chapters. And just because it seems to have a certain definition doesn't mean it fits you, okay? It, it looks nice on the rack, but if it doesn't fit you, it doesn't fit you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you got you to gotta sew your own clothes, if I can right. use that bad metaphor. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, when, when Boston Legal came up, uh, it was such a huge, out of nowhere, it was like, I felt like the universe had handed me this back on a silver platter. Mm. Just at the moment when I needed to feel like I knew what I was doing and I could make a product that sure. actually reached somebody right. as opposed to sat on my shelf. Right. And it brought acting back into my life again. And then luckily for me, that was a really popular role on a really popular show. Mm-hmm. And so the phone began to ring 
And so I, I've basically, for the last seven years, played psychopaths and murderers on TV <laughs> shows. <laughs> Criminal minds. And, yep. <laughs> Thank you. That's mostly what I do. Sometimes I get to do something a little bit different from sure. that. But mm-hmm. mostly I've discovered that, in, at least in that world, in the world of television, um, I, I mostly get a job because – well, what gets me the job is I go into the room – and I make everyone supremely uncomfortable. Mm, intentionally. And then, and then, <laughs> intentionally. Hmm. And then, then I usually get hired. If that's hmm. what they're looking for, that mm-hmm. I can do. Mm-hmm. I can definitely go in and make everyone very – I can creep everyone out. <laughs> You're like, I'll just be myself. I'll just – And you're hired. Like, what? That's, that's awesome. Um, it's been fun. Mm-hmm. So where where are you now with your acting? Because I've seen uh, you in some shows, some of your one man shows. Oh, thanks. How, how did how did those come about? For um, you? Those came about because part of what I started to do, much like what you were talking mm-hmm. about, was I needed to write something else. Right. Okay. And I started I started out writing a blog. Actually, during the writer's strike, I started writing a blog, mm-hmm. and then uh, it got really popular. What, what kind of things were you talking about? In the blog? I was writing about. Um, I was writing about being middle class in show business. Mm-hmm. I was talking about not being a superstar mm-hmm. and not being a beginner, right. but being right in the middle of this. And, and, and that I knew people who were superstars. Mm-hmm. And I also, because I teach, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who just started yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was this link in the chain between these two realities. Interesting. And I was writing about what it means to actually kind of make a living and work, what mm-hmm. it is to work. Mm-hmm. And it, it and there was a lot of you know weird little stories about you know, so there was usually some little point to it somehow, mm-hmm. but it was really fun and it got very popular. And out of that, I started getting invitations to work on the, on the spoken word circuit, which mm-hmm. is very big in LA. Mm-hmm. And so I started telling stories in front of a crowd and, right. and to hear people laugh. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like true stories. Oh my, yeah, yeah they're, like they're all true stories. Yeah. yeah. Like, like one of the things I like listening to on national public radio, they have mm-hmm. that thing with it. Once a month they have the storyteller and like, it could be the most varied people but the stories, it doesn't even matter what the story is. When they get those people telling those stories, I am like rivet. I'm dry and I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the coolest thing just to hear those little stories, sure. you know. They could be 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long. It's just hearing that story and just being amazed. Uh, in L.A., there is no shortage of amazing writing mm-hmm. talent. I mean, mm-hmm. no shortage. And so when I went on that circuit, it was really something to be part of it. And I, one night I told a story, which was not a show business story, but it was a story mm-hmm. about my ex, mm-hmm. uh, which – and it – I didn't intend it to turn out this way, but it wound up really kind of affecting the room. Mm-hmm. Like it was like laugh, laugh, laugh. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to the end of it, people were like choked up. People Aww. were like, sniffling. "That's what I'm saying." He has that ability yeah. to have you like he takes you to the highest high, and, and then, then changes yeah. it. And oh I God. couldn't, you know, like I, when I walked out there, I thought, "Huh, that's that's a little more than just a story in a way." Mm-hmm. That kind of turned into theater right. accidentally, right? You know? And that's when I started thinking about. My, the idea for the first show was a story of all true love stories from my life, <laughs> so starting cute. at age six up to the present. <laughs> wow. That is so cute. And so, you had that one story about that girl, and he finally tells her he's gay, and she, she like had the biggest crush on you or something. Oh, I'm, so I'm trying to remember which one. <laughs> it, was, it was something. I just kind of vaguely remember something. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, but it was all these stories from like my first girlfriend when I was like, you know, six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a story about my father, mm-hmm. uh, who I had a very hard kind of troubled relationship with because he could not, ne- he never said the words, I love you to any of his children ever, right. you know? And my decision to say it to him and how it took me five years to do right. it. And, I was bawling in that room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and, and then, you know, you know, this big sort of like 10-year relationship I had with somebody who had, you know, drug and alcohol problems mm-hmm. and, how, and what that 
eventually being became. an enabler and all that stuff. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, and, and trying to trying to weather it, trying mm-hmm. to weather it because you love them, and mm-hmm. and then not being able to in the right. end. And and so and then all those little internet stories that are so fantastic, mm-hmm. all those like <laughs> Match.com stories right. of all the people who answer your ads and That's all the hilarious. freaky shit that happens <laughs> along the way. And, and all the things are like, well, okay, if I can't find love, I'll have a little sex. Mm-hmm. And then what those freaky stories turn into. Mm-hmm. So there was a little bit of everything kind of mm-hmm. mixed in together. Right. But, it was, but it was kind of – and it was just kind of a collage of those stories. But somehow it kind of all added up to something okay. that – you know. And then, and then I found that – maybe did you see it when I was reading the, the entry from my journal from when I was like 20? I don't um, remember. But I've it, seen two of your shows, so okay. it must have been both at of them. The, at the end of the show, I found this <laughs> incredible like entry from when I was 20 years old in an old journal. Uh-huh. Yes, that was at the end. Uh-huh. Hilarious, mm-hmm. unintentionally hilarious. hilarious about being so obsessed with someone. Like, and it was just on and on and on and on about how I was not going to be able to live without this right, person. Right, and, 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 I mean, oh, I've, so, got the, I've got that journal. Oh, it, was so, it was so over the top and so fantastic. And then the punchline of the whole thing was, I have no idea who that was. Like I have literally zero memory of who that person this was. This is the love, my soul, my, my app. And it's it like, I don't know. Never even spoke to him. Yeah. Oh my God. So that, that was the first one and it, it became this unexpected hit and it ran mm-hmm. for like a year and a half. Wow. And, uh, and then I did the second one as well, which was and about. Jim Fall directed, right? Yeah, Jim Fall directed both shows. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the. Shout uh, out to Jim. We got to get yeah, him on the show. Yeah, Tell yeah, him yeah, I want to do You totally get him on the show for sure. And then the the other one was about work. It was about my work life and all kinds of work, not just showbiz's work, but like work in general. How does all of this this amazing stuff? How does this lead you to start creating the the Sci Fest? Oh, okay. Like how? Like I, because I'm thinking to myself, I've seen you on the TV shows and this writing you've been doing. It's like how does that? I mean, how do you make that leap? Like I'm going to do this because this is like one of the most unique. Thank you. Writing things ever. Like when I first heard about, it, I had just got off Clarion, and it was like a year later, and I was like, what? I think I found it on Twitter, and I was like, what? What is this amazing thing? Like, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, it happened because about five years ago, I developed a new policy. I, I did. <laughs> I developed a new policy, <laughs> and the new policy was yes. Oh. Huh. The policy is yes, mm-hmm. that I would say yes to things. Huh. And so when, uh, like, like so you know, Street policy. Tease okay. was an, another amazing show that I was involved with for a while, because mm-hmm. somebody walked up to my gym and said, hey, you want to be in this comedy show? And I, and I said, what is it? And he said, it's I like want vagina to do, monologues type it, of thing? He or? said, I want, oh, well, it's better than that. But he said, I want to do a show of all uh, Meryl Streep monologues performed That's by right. men. And I thought that was the funniest thing. See? Instantly, I did the same thing. I laughed. Because I love Meryl Streep. And you play, yeah, you play, right. her, you play her too, right? I do. Yeah, yeah, I played her. And so everybody picked a movie. And we each did a piece from this one, one of the Meryl Streep movies. And it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And that also ran for about three years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it, I just made up this policy that, that if I, I, I was going to stop saying no. Uh-huh. Like, oh, well, I'll tell you later or right. whatever. Right. And I started saying yes. And all of a sudden, all these things started happening. Hmm. And so that's that, a good note. And that includes ideas that I had. Mm-hmm. I would have an idea. I think that's a good idea. And instead of filing it away, mm-hmm. I would say, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm going like to do that. that. So I was reading this collection of short stories. I came across a short story by Ursula Le Guin. <gasps> Ursula. Amazing. Amazing mm-hmm. short story. Phenomenal. And it was, it was not very long. It was told in first person. Okay. And when you got to the end of it, all the hair stood up on your body because it was mm. so scary, the ending of it was. Wait, which story was this? It was the wife's story. <gasps> 
Isn't that an amazing story? You know what I'm ones. talking about? Was that your first time ever reading it? I had never read that I story. I envy people. When you get to read like some of our favorite writers, when yeah. you get to read them for the first time, I envy you just a little bit because <laughs> I want to have that experience too. Like, oh, the chills. Okay. It's an amazing story. Oh. I mean, it's not very long, but mm-hmm. oh my God, mm-hmm. what a masterpiece. You got to get him one of your books. And oh, God, it's yeah. amazing. I read it and I thought, Okay, it has such a surprise ending mm-hmm. that you can't because you think you're you think the story is about one thing until you get the end and then you realize what she's actually uh-huh. talking about mm-hmm. and like your blood runs cold. Interesting. And so, uh, so I loved it and I thought, well, you can't do that as a movie because you'd give the ending away. Mm-hmm. And you can't do it as a TV show. You can't do it visually. Right. And I thought, but you know what? If you had a performer who is compelling enough, they could just stand there in a pool of light live on stage and tell you that story and it would work. Mm-hmm. And and then that was where the idea came from. Of uh, of creating a festival of short science fiction plays. Wow! And I thought that is a great idea mm-hmm. on so many different levels. That is a great idea. I bet and, people are trying to steal it all over the place. <laughs> well, now they are. Uh-huh. Now that we came up with it, it's uh-huh. it's actually being you know uh, imitated. But but anyway, I came up with this idea, and then I thought about it for a while because I was scared because it seemed like a big undertaking. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? Fuck mm-hmm. it. Life right. is short. And you said, I'm gonna say yes. I did. Just us. I said yeah. yes. I mm-hmm. said yes. I went out and found a couple of producing partners. We went on Kickstarter. We raised eighty thousand dollars. I remember that. Days. Yeah. Wow. And uh, and we did this damn thing. And we we advertised for material. We got about three hundred scripts, three hundred plus scripts. Wow. And we started sorting through them. A lot of them were not kind of ready to be produced. Right. And uh, as we were sorting through them, I said. Gee, I wonder, like, what the hell? Let's call up Ursula Gwen's agent. Let's ask. <laughs> so we did, and unbelievably, they said yes. <gasps> and they gave us the rights to that the story. The rights to that story, yeah. And then I thought, oh my God, I need somebody amazing. I need mm-hmm. somebody amazing. And I was at the, um, the I, I serve as a delegate on the SAG after a convention. Mm-hmm. And so I was standing there at the SAG after a convention, and I looked around, and there was L. Scott Caldwell, mm-hmm. who I had seen many times in New York as a stage actor, mm-hmm. who was always amazing. She won a Tony, and now she'd been on Lost. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how fucking perfect is that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I sailed up to her, and I said, I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> and I pitched her the whole thing. And I and she said, well, that sounds kind. Of, you know, obviously she didn't know my, me from Adam. So she goes, that this sounds kind of interesting. person just coming up to me. <laughs> and, and I, and I said, okay, well, thank you for saying that. And now, now let's see. This is where the rubber meets the road. Right. Hmm. May I have your phone number? Hmm. Because you know, when I go through Follow agents, through. it's the end of it. Right. I mean, like right. that's I'll never see you or hear from you again right. if I have to go through your agent. And she right. said, you may. And she gave me her home phone number. Wow. And she wound up doing it. And it and she was amazing in it. Well, you saw her. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was she amazing. She was getting standing ovation. She was amazing in it mm-hmm. because man, talk about somebody who knows how to like make that room pay attention. Good God, she was incredible. And, mm-hmm. and oh, just I love the ending of it so much. It was just talk about going for it. She was mm-hmm. amazing. But anyway, we did this whole festival of short science fiction plays, and it was a big hit. And immediately everybody starts saying, "What are you doing next year?" <laughs> we're like, "Next year? Oh, <laughs> next year? Uh, this was a one time." Because in the Twitter thing, they had the one thing. Was it like was it 2013? Was the first one? Uh, 2014. For 2014. Yeah. Because it was like oh, it was like sci-fi and 2014. And then I think you guys changed the Twitter thing because it was like, oh, I guess they're doing another one. They yeah. couldn't just keep using like you know 14. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, they're changing it, so they must be coming back. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So. Here we are. We're back. We're mm-hmm. coming back in about six weeks, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it, the whole thing has taken the elevator up, and it's been amazing, mm-hmm. terrifying, but amazing. Well, let, let's describe it for people who don't know exactly sure, what it is. Right. Tell them what it is. Okay. What is what is uh, Sci-Fi Fest okay. LA? Uh, Sci-Fest LA is a <laughs> month long festival 
of short science fiction plays. They're sort of like mini Twilight Zone episodes okay. performed live on stage. And the majority of them have an actor who has been uh, in either like, you know, Star Trek or Lost or Fringe or X-Files. Mm-hmm. One so of you're bringing well in the actors who've yeah. been on these type of speculative shows and things and yeah. you're bringing them in. And these are like the the script, the, the plays are just people who've just submitted and yes. they're picked. So... Not only do you have, like, maybe you might do, like, a famous one, but yeah. you also have, like, newbies, people who are writing. Sure. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The first year, we had we had one by Ray Bradbury, which was an incredible play that we wanted to revive. Mm-hmm. And we had the Ursula Le Guin piece. And then everything else was original. Wow. And this year, um, everything is original except for um, uh, one, one piece, which is a play that we found by Digging Around, which is the oldest science fiction play ever written. It was written in 1917. <laughs> 1917. Wow. It was a huge hit. It was like a sensation in 1917. <laughs> and it's a short play. It was done in Greenwich Village. And uh, it was. It, and I, I, when I found it, I thought, well, let's see. And it actually was great. It actually still holds up. It's about war. Mm-hmm. It, but it's set in a science fiction setting. And it's mm-hmm. the first depiction of a cyborg that I'm aware of. Wow. Anywhere. 1917. But a soldier who is horribly, horribly wounded who's been repaired with parts who's mm-hmm. become half machine mm-hmm. and has now been sort of been put back into action mm-hmm. and it's uh it's phenomenal it's actually this really beautiful powerful and really scary statement mm-hmm. about war and it has a really gruesome horrible ending which is fantastic. so it's like mm-hmm. so it was like terminator <laughs> the og so it's it we have two evenings like in, uh, there's program a and program b and they rotate mm-hmm. and uh, it's just been a phenomenal thing, and and like I said, we just found an audience last year, and now we're back. So yeah, it was packed when I went, yeah. and hey, it's um, and it's global too, right? Because anybody yeah. from oh, anybody. the country, any country can just submit. Well, right now, the submissions are closed right now, right? They're they're closed right now because we're literally about to open the festival in six weeks. Okay, but we will be open again very shortly after we close the festival okay. down. Very good. But it's probably this summer at some point we'll okay. open up. But yeah, very we had good. submissions from all over. We did a play from Australia last year. Okay. Mm-hmm. We almost did a play from the UK this year. We came very close, oh, okay. but it was kind of a. We had to kind of pick, and it was, mm-hmm. oh, my God, it's like Sophie's Choice. And yes. It's so hard at the end. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the big thing this year is we have um, a show by Ray, I, I'm sorry, not Ray Bradbury. We have a show by Neil Gaiman and a show by Clive Barker. Oh, shut up. Really? Oh, my God. Right Clive Barker is like, oh, my God. Neil Gaiman, too. Yeah, but Clive Barker? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. God. Uh, we're doing an adaptation that he gave us of uh, his story, The Departed. <gasps> you know that story? Shut up. <laughs> oh, my God. I've got to come to this Okay, yeah, you this. have to come. Um, you have to come. Oh, my God. Uh, it, and then the, the Neil Gaiman piece is The Case of 420 Blackbirds, which mm-hmm. is one of the funniest stories he ever wrote, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so it's really exciting. And uh, anyway, we're off to the races. Here we go. I am so – because one of the things I love, and it's in, in the brochure that I love about it too, is the fact that it's new science fiction content. Like one of my complaints that I was complaining about on Twitter with some friends uh-huh. – <laughs> Black girl nerds, I feel your pain. Yes. <laughs> like Greek soul brother, I feel your pain. Yes. We were talking about like, oh, they're remaking all of these shows and all, you know, and it's like, there's so much new stuff out there. Yeah. And we never give those new voices a chance. And and I think that's why I really, really picked up on this when I first heard about it. When you sent me the link and they were having the Kickstarter thing and I was because, just like... Because David sent to me going, yeah, hey, submit something. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm not sci-fi dude, but I know Yeah. And so he sent it to me and I was like blown up because I yeah. had that gorgeous picture with the robot. It was just amazing. And then like a lot of my friends were trying to submit stuff and do stuff and it was just like, it was like so original and it was just like, we don't have originality. <laughs> I, I I know what you mean. I mean, I, I do. I, I, it's it's one of the things I love most about it because as much as I love Comic Con and right. I love uh, mm-hmm. all the the shows, right. all the fan shows, right. and all the fan fan conventions and all that, 
what what you kind of get when you go there mm-hmm. is there's a certain amount of rehashing of what's already been. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And and there's also clips or previews of things that may be coming out. Mm-hmm. And I and so what we're doing is a little different. Yeah. And this is actually this is the content. I'm not mm-hmm. hinting at it. This right. actually is it. Right. And it is new. Right. And it's also in a venue like a lot of the actors like being cast on a sci fi show is both a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? On the one hand, you have this kind of identity forever, which mm-hmm. is not a bad thing to have, but you also get stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. so at least when we call these people up and ask them, do you want to do a show with us? They're not playing, you know, Captain Stardust again. Mm-hmm. Right. They get to play a new character and show that they have talent and right. they're an artist and all that. Right. Sure. But by the same token, their fans also have a reason to come because mm-hmm. it's in the same genre. And mm-hmm. also just the fact that the writer, you're writing something that's sci-fi and new, and the fact that you get to see your words acted out by a pro from somebody who probably inspired you to write sci-fi in the first place. To me, that is just like unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, I, I feel really blessed. I really do. I mean, it's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the shows this year are much more technically challenging. Mm-hmm. Like we got a shitload of special effects that I'm still trying to figure out how to pay Oh, for. hell, you guys got special oh, effects for a, the stage was, shows? All the, all, they had all the screens on with all these weird things going on. It was See, I'm mad ass. now. I was, mad, yeah. I was thinking I, I should write. I'm going to write something for next year, yeah. though. Please. For next year. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah next yeah. year. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I was just so excited about this. So, okay, continue, continue. Okay. Um, so uh, the, it's like it, the whole thing is like like it's growing exponentially. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I also wanted to do was because I, I didn't want it to just be sci-fi stage plays. Mm-hmm. So uh, we expanded it this year and we ran two short story contests. Uh-huh. Sci-fi short nice. story yeah. contests. And, and, and uh, there was no, no. Like, they're like 1,500 word short stories. Mm-hmm. And when they're read aloud, that's probably eight to ten minutes. Right. Okay. right. And so... What we're doing is, uh, one is called um, the Roswell Award, which is for adults internationally. Anybody who writes in English can submit a 1,500-word story. And then the five finalists are going to be read aloud by sci-fi stars. Oh, wow. And then we're going to give an award at the end of that evening. And then we're doing a a duplicate event. You might want to go that night, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going. We're going to do a duplicate event called the Tomorrow Prize that is the exact same thing, 1,500-word short stories Mm -hmm. written by L.A. high school students. (gasps) Really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, see, and it gets better. It gets better. Better. Because that night we're going to do the same thing. The stars are going to read their stories, the kids' stories mm-hmm. on stage, and we're get, whatever's taken in at the door that night is going to be given to the winners' high school science oh, department. Wow. Uh, because we're looking sweet. to sort of hook into the world of real science. Yes. And that's something for me personally yeah. that I, I kind of believe that art needs to be hooked up to something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a big believer that we should be putting as much as we can into science if we intend to survive. Well, there was, that, <laughs> there was the book, there was the anthology that came out, uh, I believe it was last year, uh, The Hieroglyph Project, mm-hmm. which was basically, it was an anthology, anthology of short stories that were based on real science because the idea was there was a symposium that took place uh, a couple years ago and um, the idea was that literally scientists were complaining to sci-fi writers that you know a lot of the technology and stuff that we take for granted right now a mm-hmm. lot of that was inspired for you basically they were calling them out and say sci-fi writers are not on the job because <laughs> they weren't writing things that were inspiring because everything was so dystopian and so debbie downer sure. and all of that so that anthology was like okay we're gonna write positive you know sci-fi based on real science it mm-hmm. had to be hard real science yeah. you know and the idea is that we just don't 
kind of connect that kind of thing. Because I remember when I was a kid, and what made me really like sci-fi and stuff, because I was, I, well, I went to a school that specialized in computer math and science. So science oh, cool. was all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like from the time I was in fifth grade all the way up till I was like 10th grade. That's that. <laughs> my whole life was that, you know, that yeah. I was forced to be a geek, you know. Yeah. But it was like, but we still had the arts. Yeah. You know, we did plays. We did art. We had things that integrated all of those things. And especially when schools are pushing the STEM programs right now. Yeah. One way to get kids excited, especially if they're really creative, is to have something, an outlet. They can write something that's just made up on their own, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I just love the fact that not only do you have the for something for the adults, but also for the little people to connect them into that. Oh, God, I'm so excited about this. Well, is there is there I mean, I know you guys did the the Kickstarter. Is there like because I'm looking at this wonderful brochure. Yes. um, Hey, can people like donate or like try to help keep this thing going? Why, yes, they can. <laughs> yes, they can donate. And as a matter of fact, if they wanted to donate now, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, like any arts festival, we cannot make it just on box office. It's not possible. Sure, right. And particularly with something as ambitious as this, because mm-hmm. I, I have to build a giant insect. Uh, not me personally, but <laughs> the designer's got to build a giant insect. Uh, I've got to create a cyborg. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got to create these, you know, these aliens. I, these things do, they cost they money. They cost money, mm-hmm. yeah. And so if anybody wanted to help us out, they could go to uh, SciFest.com. That's mm-hmm. S-C-I-F-E-S-T.com. Mm-hmm. And if they wanted to, they could click on that donate button and they mm-hmm. could give us any amount of money, even if it was five <laughs> bucks, we'd be delighted to take it. Mm-hmm. And it's tax deductible. And it's, it is indeed. It is mm-hmm. indeed. So uh, that would be just great if you wanted to help us out. We would love that. We're running a little Kickstarter campaign right now. We just okay. finished an Indiegogo campaign. And the Kickstarter campaign is all about the special effects. Okay. It is all about, uh, you know, kicking in to like, we have to rip somebody's head off in one, <laughs> one show. You know, and that's necessary. We have to have that happen. It is. So help it us, is. people. And if you give, listen, it gets better. If you give, I think I forgot what the, the level is, but if you give a, like it's 500 bucks or something like that, we will mail you the head. <gasps> we will send you the head you know after I the need, festival. You know what? I may have to take out my American Express. <laughs> <laughs> we will mail you the head, and hang it friends. up in my office like, what? <laughs> Once we're done with it, it's yours. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so we're doing things like that. Oh, so that's that, really cool. Yeah, so that people who are out of town are going to get, I mean, it's not just giving your money and you never see it. We, we have some really fun stuff to send you. We have stuff from the show to send people. So it's really kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And oh. some cool, cool, cool gifts. So, yeah. And it's such well, a unique, a one-of-a-kind thing. I thanks. Well, I love it. I love thank it. you so much, David. Oh, my God. This was a pleasure. That was David Dean Betrayal, you guys. Y'all need to look him up. He's got some cool shit. Get on Twitter for the SciFest LA. Make sure you follow that. Mm -hmm. And please donate, people. Because, you know, we complain all the time that we want to see original stuff. We want to hear new voices. And, And here you have something that's brand new. I mean, fr- I mean, this is the second year they're doing it, and you can have a, a really great uh, impact on making sure it happens for a long, long time by Absolutely. just don't. And you know what? Donate what you can, and tell your friends. And sometimes, you know, it takes just a few bucks and a bunch of people to donate that, and you can make it happen. And mm-hmm. and me being an educator, also myself, the the fact that they have a component for young people. That's great to do that. That's amazing. That's great. So, so expect uh, me to be there, David. <laughs> Where, where, can, where can people find you? Do you want to promote your, um, your acting class at all that you teach? Or um, I don't. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't. I've got so many students like, now. Cool. I can't I take cool. anymore. I'm totally jammed up with students. Because I remember students. when you were starting, He's you were like, cool. Hillary, uh, send yeah. us out. I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little jammed up in <laughs> classes that's, right now. It's, that's it's a great. Good thing. It's terrific. It's a great thing. Okay, good. Um, uh, right now, I'm kind of neck deep in SciFest. So, okay. uh, again, SCI-FEST.com. Come all see right. us. Come check us out. Lisa, where can they find you at? You can find me on Twitter. 
And you can also find me on Bitch Flicks. And you can also find me in the audience of SciFest LA. I heard that. Because <laughs> just really quickly, I mean, some of the names that they had last year who were acting, you had James Kyson, who was in Heroes. And of course, we were talking about L. Scott Codwell. Look, they had Tuvok, y'all. <laughs> Tuvok was Tim Russ was there. You've got like, oh my God, I love this girl. Is it Jessica Nicole? Yeah, Jessica Nicole. From Fringe. Yes. Yeah, David Lawrence and also Wesleyan and Angela. I mean, they had so many great people from really popular shows um, that we watch and we love, especially if you're into speculative fiction and sci-fi stuff. So please, if you're in the LA area, please make sure you come out, come hang out and support because this is something unique and it's original. And I'm so thrilled that it is happening because it's like, this is like that dream thing. So thank you And they're you so starting much. to SciFest uh, London, by the way. Okay. London. Look, somebody. Uh, well, we're talking to them about it, but it looks like it's going to happen. Oh my God, that's even better. So now we really got to go to London. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go to London. They're doing sci-fi stuff in London, too. I know. We keep saying it. Um, so I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Hilliard Guest, and also Screenwriters RR. Please, please um, follow us and tweet us and retweet us and all that. Um, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. I almost went blank on it because mm-hmm. um, that's important. It's good for the and matrix. Stitcher and all that, and yeah. we want to get to that yeah. top 250 list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck it. Top 10 list, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and um, stuff like that. So, you know, thank you to everybody who's um, following us. Um, you guys know who you are. Uh, we love you guys. So y'all know how we do it on the show. We keep it street. We keep it opinionated. And we keep it what? 2015. 2015. Peace, y'all. Close your eyes. Breathe again Stop looking for a reason To run Can you try To believe again That I can change your golden season To sun Let me dry your tears I'll press your fears You can leave your heart open All the pain you have Let me mend what's been broken, broken Again, no more failing love is not a test. Time to smile and feel again. Knowing me, you'll have a place to rest. Let me dry your tears. I'll press your fears. You can leave your heart open.
again.